We were, we were in Rochester last night. Um, and if the Minnesota Youth Convention started, thousands and thousands of students are in the Mayo um, Civic Center. And so we took last night, uh, Selena went down, she came out on the stage, she started singing. And then I, she done, then um, she introduced me, I walk out with John Smith. And then I said, we're going to throw some t-shirts. I said, before we do that, we just we need some help. So I said, everybody welcome all of the players on the men's and women's basketball team. So we brought out all 35 athletes on the stage, threw out t-shirts, had a phenomenal uh, about six, seven minutes. But here's my point. I looked out at thousands of teenagers and I just looked out at our chapel here and I thought, wow, they're so close from being in this atmosphere. There's got to be hundreds in that room last night that need to be at NCU. And I, I thought about a phone call I made in 1980, the fall of 1980, that changed the course of my friend Bobby Johnson's life. I was a freshman in my college and we had a chapel. Wasn't as good as what we do here, but they were pretty good back then. And so we were having a phenomenal day. My heart was just full of the experience, the learning. And I thought of my best friend back home, Bobby Johnson, that was in Redding, California. We graduated at the same time. He um, was just kind of going to a junior college trying to figure out life. And I kept thinking, man, he would kill it in this atmosphere. This atmosphere is perfect for my best friend, Bobby Johnson. So back then, you had to scrounge up a dime, get to the payphone, wait in line. I went in the payphone, put in that dime, and made a long-distance call. Maybe it was 35 cents. Long-distance call from Santa Cruz, California to Redding, California, and I got my friend on the phone. I said, hey, Bobby, I'm, I'm 17. He's 17 or 18. We're just punks. And so we are sitting there talking. I said, Bobby, I just felt on my heart I want to let you know about this place. I think you need to come to school here. That phone call planted the seed. The following, that was like in November, the following September, he was on that campus and he uh, became my roommate, and he has had a phenomenal life in the Lord, that phone call. So I think every Friday, here's what I need you to do for the rest of the year. I need you to go on social media, and first of all, use all your things, and just simply say, man, I love my school. Now, if you don't love your school, don't lie. But I want you to put in, man, I love my school. And put a picture, tell a story, just get on there every Friday throughout the year and just let your friends know about your experience you're having at the university. It means the world. Last night when we walked out with those athletes and with Selena in front of all those thousands of students, I promise you some divine connections were happening between the students just because of how the story was being told to them. But, but if you've got a friend back home, your hometown, that is back in your church, that is really kind of struggling. Maybe they went to junior college. Maybe they're graduating from high school this year. You just know them. You've been a mentor to them, an influence on their life. I want to encourage you, send them a text and say, I really think you should consider coming to college here. Because um, you never know that that little piece of information could change the course of their life. So, okay, so college, here we are in November. No, it's not November, it's October. Wow. And it's always crazy in October when a group of students in Minneapolis are singing, the winter season's over. Hey, it ain't over. It ain't over. That was like a spiritual winter. 
the winter season. Yeah. yeah, we need to sing that at graduation. Um, so I just want you to know we're not lying. That's, a, that's school spirit of lying is on that school. The winter season's not over that place. Okay, here we go. So I came across this video. Now it's sideways, but I thought this thing was the best way to describe what it's like to be at college. So, so in the video, you're the baby, and college is the stuffed animal. You're the baby, college is the animal. Let's roll it. Real loud. I hate college. Oh, oh, no, 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 I hate college. I love college, I love college. Love it. Love it. Love it. I hate it. I hate it. I love college. I'm not sure. I love college. <laughs> Hate it. <laughs> it's like make up your mind. Either this thing is making you cry or it's making you laugh. But how many say college is making me do both right now? I can't decide if I'm laughing or crying here. By the way, that was my grandson. I just thought I would throw down a little. That was my little dude, Emerson, right there. Oh, it's tough to say goodbye. Our family, our family has always been horrible. It's, how many of you, you just can never have a clean goodbye when you say goodbye to your family members, to your friends? It's just like, our family has the worst goodbyes. It's always clumsy. I think I told this two years ago but it's worth retelling. We're going to be in Romans 5, so get your Bibles ready to go to Romans 5. But our family has just been lousy at goodbyes. Every time we try to leave town, honestly, my whole life, pack up the kids, do this, get the checklist done, in a half mile from the house, we circle back, go back to the house, because we forgot something, something's not right. It just takes forever to leave town. It takes forever to say goodbye. Anybody else quite like that? So um, my dad... Uh, passed away in 2004. True story. So my dad, I love my dad. My dad had a great personality, lived somewhat of a troubled life, but uh, we had his memorial service. So it's been, you know, 15 years, so we can kind of talk about it. But my dad, so what we decided to do is have the casket there at the service, and the room is about this size, and it's out in the lobby is my dad. Open casket, very emotional. The family's all gathered around. And again, our family had a lot of upheaval, moved 27 times. By the time I was 16, I met Karen. She was in the same house her whole life. Her family had the same food on Monday night, same food on Tuesday night, watched the same TV shows. Her dad cleaned the gutters on the same day of every year. It was on the calendar. Her dad would change a light bulb before it burned out because he would mark the alum hours. He didn't want to be caught going to the bathroom in the middle of the night and the light not work. So he would, he would change a light bulb after X amount of months knowing it was about to, to, to blow out. 
The guy was not normal. This family was not normal. These weren't how real people lived. Our family was, I mean, they would plan vacations. Literally, my wife's family would plan vacations. Like the day after Thanksgiving, they get all the brochures out and plan the vacation for the next summer. Who does that? Our family, I mean, we literally found out we were leaving on vacation when we were in the car. True. My dad made a commission on a car and he goes, yeah, I got 500 bucks. He goes, you guys want to go to, uh, to McDonald's or Burger King? He goes, let's go to Disneyland instead. Yeah, we're going to Disneyland. Seriously, how many grew up in a family like mine? That's the way normal people do life. Karen's family, they're working on the family puzzle. With the vacation brochures out six, seven months ahead of time. It was unbelievable. So we got married, two different worlds. And <clears throat> so my father, the Lord takes him home. And um, so it's emotional, true story. We're out there in the lobby and it's emotional. We're crying and we're looking in the casket there and uh, we're kind of all gathered around the family. Then they're going to close the casket and wheel dad in and put him up here with a closed casket. We're going to do the memorial. So we're going to say goodbye to dad in the lobby. So the casket lids open and we're all there. We're crying. We're going, ah. And I'm kind of the, when you're the minister, you're kind of the family pope. So they're all kind of looking to me as the pope of the family. Do we close the lid now? Um, and so... Um, I finally felt like everybody had cried and the whole bit. And so I look at the, the mortician or the funeral guy there and he, I nod. And so he has to crank it real slow and the lid closes real slow. So our whole family's like, dad, we love you, dad. We love you, dad. We love you, dad. Dad, we love you. Love you. We're going to, we're down to two. We'll, we'll see you in heaven, dad. Bye. And the thing clicks. <laughs> and we look over there and the funeral director is bent over he goes oh, oh, oh. he goes my tie is caught in the lid I go what because my tie's in the lid I go what he goes I gotta open it back up again what and it's gotta go all the way up I go what so, so all of a sudden Oh, hey, hey, Dad, we're, we're back, Dad. We love you, Dad. Good to see you, Dad. We're not in heaven yet. We had the worst goodbyes. Just never could get it right. True story, true story. So I love all the emotion. I've been meeting some parents that are dropping off their kids for the first time to college and going through all the trauma of that. It's okay, make it messy and uh, make it good. So, But anyway, this morning, uh, Romans 5 says this, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith. By the way, I brought out my Bible. The evolution of the Bible is amazing. I don't use this very often, but when I bought this Bible in 1998, I bought it because it was a small Bible. This was a small Bible. Now, my arm is sore from walking with it from the office to the pulpit. It's like my bicep is growing because of this Bible. These are heavy. That's a huge, how do I say that's a big looking Bible? 
Back in the day, this was a tiny Bible compared to the big old study Bibles. So I got my big gun out here because I wanted to read from the New American Standard Version. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith. This word justification is powerful. It is the pivot. It's the great question of humanity. How does a human being come into right standing with God? If I had a large cross where I'm standing now and this side represented the Old Testament to my right and the left side represented the New Testament, up until the time of Jesus, this Old Testament system was intact. It was all based on making the minimum payment on the credit card debt. Now what I mean by that is this. It was a system of works and laws. It wasn't based on on anything other than than being able to um, have the wrath of God, which is revealed against unrighteousness, temporarily held back by making the minimum payment on the credit card. So when you would offer a sacrifice in the Old Testament, you weren't paying off the debt. You simply were making a minimum payment so that the collector didn't come. So the debt was never removed. The debt remained. So you're making these Old Testament sacrifices to the Lord with an eye toward all of these promises that were spoken of in the Old Testament that were somewhat cryptic about a new system that would one day happen. And that new system went from law to love when Jesus said, it is finished. A light switch flipped. And now there was a new way for a person to be in right standing with God. That right standing then came through the act of sacrifice. I don't want to do a deep dive here because I don't have a lot of time, but when Jesus died on that cross for us, so great was the sacrifice that he, he paid off the debt and he purchased our salvation. Now, if I gave you enough money to pay off your debt, but not enough money for your dream, you're still stuck. If I give you enough cash to pay for your future, but don't pay off your debt, you can't pursue the future because the debt's going to hang over your head. When Jesus died on the cross, so great was the value of that blood that when he signed the check, it was fat enough to cover the debt and to purchase the future. That's why I worship the Lord. That's why I love him. That's why he is my king, because he did that for me. But the new system, the new system of how a person was in right standing with God was no longer through minimum payment on the credit card. The debt was removed through the blood of Christ. So we, when we stand justified, when the, when, the, when the wrath of God has been appeased fully and eternally through Christ, not temporarily, that's the difference between Christianity. That's why the Bible is about two inches of the Bible is the old story. One inch of the Bible is the new story. Because it takes us a long time to figure out how screwed up we are. And to exhaust money and power and harems and tribes and land as our salvation. The Old Testament is basically the story of us and our inability to save ourselves and to set us up for a desperate, accurate look at the hope that's in Christ. It didn't take as long for God to explain Jesus as it did to explain us. So the New Testament is the new system. The switch was flipped when Jesus said, it is finished. So faith, believing in what Christ has done, as though it is fact, not fiction, 
instead of just these temporary sacrifices, is the new system. So when Paul writes, therefore I am in right standing with God because what I believe that Jesus said is true, what I believe that Jesus has done actually happened, I believe these things with deep conviction, no wavering, I have peace with God. I've come into this safe harbor of the Lord. Therefore, through Jesus Christ, uh, through whom we also have obtained our introduction. Introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. It just sounds like you've heard the verse a thousand times. It just sounds like, hello, my name is. It's just one of those passages that sound like Paul has inserted this into all of his letters. But when he says that this moment of introduction to Christ happens by faith, you got to focus on the word introduction. I met Karen in May of 81, married her in August of 82. I can remember well the kiss at the altar, the husband, wife, the pronouncement. It was awesome. I went to the reception. This was back when the focus was on the wedding, not the DJ. So back in the day, they gave you some colored mints, a couple cans of planter's peanuts, a cake, and that was the reception because all the focus was on the wedding and the worship, the special song. They would come down. The bride would come down. Then the husband or the groom and the bride would look at each other. Someone would sing the special song, the special and then we would have communion and light candles and six other uh, solos in the wedding. The reception was an afterthought. The reception was, let's take a quick offering and get to the honeymoon suite. That's what it was all about. Everybody knew that. You, however, have been duped into serving meat at the reception. That's the big shift that happened in this global pivot. I've got to serve a sit-down meal now at the reception. Whoever did that first, I want to kick them. It's cost me thousands of dollars. I said, you could have got away with some multicolored mints and a couple cans of planter's peanuts, called it a day. Now we have to have the big reception and the DJ and the food and the, the, the wedding is the inconvenience to get to the reception, to get to the party. Didn't used to be that way. Come from a different world, different planet. Jeff Dio and I come from that place. So, but when I met her, can you imagine if I walked away from her at that reception and said, okay, I'll see you at North Central in 2019. So from 83 to 19, what if after our introduction, our introduction, if we had split, what are the chances of us having any kind of story, any kind of children, grandchildren? Zero. Because something has to happen after the introduction. Okay? So what is that thing that happens after you're introduced to Jesus that actually is your story, your testimony, your life? And how does Jesus connect with us Forever in that relationship. Here's how it happens. It says we have an introduction. By faith, we stand in that and we exalt in the glory of God. That's a piece of cake. It's very easy to exalt in the glory of God, the idea of heaven, the idea of power, the idea of authority, the idea of beauty. It's very easy to lift up your hands with that and to say, wow, that's awe 
inspiring the glory of God, that Shekinah, that thing that is so magnificent that it literally brushed and smeared Moses. He said, we exalt in that. We, we have a joy. Uh, we have an, a, an affectionate response. It lifts us up. We exalt in song and word, mind, everything to the glory of God. Then it says, and not only this, but we also exalt, same word, this exuberant, expressive, uncontrolled reaction. We exalt also in our tribulations. So literally, you're supposed to exalt in pressure and daily care the same way you do to the glory of God. How does that fly? See, because what's happening here is... In order for you to build a fruitful life, you have to put a thousand days in a row together that somewhat look the same. What the devil wants to do is to make tomorrow look totally different than today. But when you look at faithfulness and leadership and fruitfulness, there's something about my life today that looks just like it did yesterday. And there's something about tomorrow that looks just like today. So when you think about leadership, you think about your future, think about this. I want to put together a thousand days in a row that look the same. Now, when I say look the same, I'm not talking about some robotic thing where you eat the same food every Monday night and clean your gutters on the same. I'm not talking about that. Hey, they had a great life. I'm being, I'm being stupid here. What I'm talking about this is that the enemy comes in after your introduction by faith in right standing with God, because of what Christ did and you believe it to be true, you stand there and you understand that tribulation is how God keeps you in a love relationship with him. It's tribulation. It's not glory only. It's tribulation. So how do you turn pressure into relationship? And remember, my goal, your goal, our goal needs to be I'm going to put together Hundreds of days that are the same. I'm not going to go crazy after having six good days in life and then I just lose my mind and go into some dark place, act the fool, and then I emerge out of that and start over. Until that cycle gets broken up in your life, you're never really going to have that deep feeling of satisfaction that your life is headed somewhere meaningful. You're always going to feel like you're under a cloud. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't trip up and slip and sin and fail, but I, I'm in a deep place of community with some folks, and the light's shining bright enough on my life that that healing of living in the light and living in community makes it so I don't live in that place for an extended period of time, or I keep that bad day a secret. I'm able to take away the power of that bad day by taking away the secrecy of what just happened. Because the light, I'm living in the light and I'm living in community. Now watch this. So the Bible says we exalt in tribulation. We've got to do this quick. Knowing that tribulation, tribulation in this word means thlipsis is a word for pressure or daily cares. This isn't the great tribulation. Our daily cares, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. This word simply means to stand Steady in the storm or stand steady in the rain. Up until this point in life, you're known for one thing maybe. I was known for one thing. I always ran from my problems. I always ran. 
That's the characteristic of people that don't know the Lord. When the going, when it it's, gets difficult, I run. The number one characteristic of a growing Christian is you stand instead of run in the midst of a trial or a storm. Before you split, you hid. Now you just stand there and take it. It's like standing in the rain. I go, okay, it's raining. But I'm going to stand right here. In the daily pressure, the tribulation, it produces perseverance. Why? Because you know where it's headed. So now I'm going to stand and face things that I've always avoided and ran from. That is the fundamental difference between yesterday and today in your life. When I ask people all the time, I kind of found out pretty quick, hey, you've had this problem before. This thing's been going on for a while. Your MO is it always gets right here and you run. You go quiet. You don't talk. You don't reach out. You try to find darkness instead of light. You isolate instead of find community. So Christianity is about being in right standing because of Christ with the Father. The whole debt's been paid. The future's been purchased. This introduction now requires a relationship. The relationship looks like this. It looks like pressure, and it looks like praise. It's just, it's equal, it's 50-50. It's glory, and it is tribulation. How can you be excited about pressure? Because you know where it's headed. Where's it headed? Real fast. I got three minutes. Watch this. He says that perseverance produces, or tribulation produces perseverance. Look for one trait in yourself and one trait in your friends. Do you run from your problems? If you run from the problems, you're abandoning the whole process, and that's why Christianity isn't working for you. It doesn't work for you. Because the Bible says that this hope doesn't disappoint. And so far, everything about Christianity is disappointing. But it's disappointing because you are excusing yourself early on in the process. How do I do that? Not by skipping chapel, but by running from your problems. Running from pressure. School pressure. I'm out of here. Relationship. I'm out of here. I can't deal with it. Can't cope. I'm done. So your move is this. Here's your move. You don't got to be a genius. You don't have to figure it out. The Bible just says, stand there and take it. Yes. Stay in the rain. Perseverance. Tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Yes. This is a powerful word. It means character. It means the right decision making under duress. It means decision making that looks like the kinds of decisions you see people made in the Bible. They stood there. So let's say you're newly married and you and your wife or you and your husband start screaming about money. And you got this little thing you do. And you're in your early 20s. You're yelling about money. And suddenly you get to the same pressure point and you do what you always do. You kick back from the table. You knock the chair down. You get in the car. You spin your tires. You make a statement. And you go split for a day. You go get high. You go drink while you have this fight over money. That's what you've always done. But now you found the Lord you're understanding the Bible, you see the game plan. So here's what you do next time. Same pressure about money, because we all got tribulation, we all got daily care. But now you get right to that point at that table. I taught a young couple this. I said, dude, you get right to this spot, instead of pushing the chair back aggressively, knocking it down, going real loud through the door, spinning your tires, kicking up some gravel, making a statement, being gone for 24 hours, here's what you're gonna do. 
You're going to sit at that table and keep your voice down low. You're not going to change your tone. You're going to persevere. You're going to stay in the storm. And simply by sitting there, a whole new cadre of behaviors has to emerge. You got to drop your voice. They're still sitting there. Now you have character that's emerging solely because you're persevering. Because you're not splitting under pressure. You'll be shocked at the changes you will see in yourself if you will simply not run from your problems. Stay in there. Persevere. It produces character. His voice dropped. He asked for counsel. They actually prayed together because he didn't run. It produced character. Then it says, and character produces proven character. This word proven is key. Here we go. 60 seconds. Musician, come to the platform. Proven character, not just character. It means that this new behavior pattern happens enough times so that one, you recognize the value of the new behavior and that the new behavior is in you enough that when the storm passes, you will still behave that way. So it's not about experimental things you do once just to make the atmosphere better. It produces character and character produces proven character. You got to stay in this new cycle of behavior long enough so that when the storm passes, you still behave that way because you have discovered the value of it on your own. This is a better way to live. This is a better way to live. This is a better way to do life. And the Bible says when proven character happens, it produces hope and hope doesn't disappoint. That's why you look in the mirror in the morning when nobody's there. And if you are in right standing with Jesus because of Jesus, and you understand the power of daily pressure is producing the children and the fruit. It's beyond the introduction to Jesus. This is how the relationship and the marriage actually works with the Lord that produces a life down the road that brings him glory. So the pressure comes, and instead of running, it produces tribulation, produces perseverance. I'm just going to stand here and get wet. I'm just going to stand here. I used to always run right here. This is the point in my conversation with my parents or my friends or school or authority or work or whatever, I always run. And running may be, you just snap and lose it and you scream at people, that's how you run. Sometimes you disappear, but you always run at that point of pressure. But now because you know the Bible, you love the Lord, you stand there and just kind of take it. And you'll be shocked at how you have to behave differently simply by persevering. So now you go, whoa, who's this? Me. And the Bible says if you stay in that posture and you let transformation happen, you look in the mirror and you go, man, I know that person. I've been, I've been, I've been around that person a long time, but I know that every time up until this last six months or month or a year of my life, I always ran from that point of pressure, but now I've stayed in it. Now I'm behaving differently. And, and I got to tell you, I can feel Jesus transforming my life. And this is why the Bible says it produces hope and hope doesn't disappoint. Because what happens is the reason your faith is so disappointing to you. Christianity doesn't have the, the appeal to you. It's because you, you always run and split under pressure. I talked to a dude one time. The Luxor Hotel's built like an Egyptian pyramid on Vegas. He was in the top suite, 10,000 bucks a night. He had three women in his bed. He had a big old pile of cocaine. He had a loaded gun. He had a Lamborghini he had rented in the parking lot. He went to the very top of Car- Mount Carnality. He had it all. 
the sex, the power, the drugs, the cash, it was all spread out, the coke, the gun, the cash, three ladies, he's in his bed, and he did it all, and he said this, after I experienced everything possible that this world has to offer, I got to the very top, and I said to myself, is that all there is? But I've never met a Christian yet who come to know Jesus because of what Jesus has done on the cross paid off the debt and purchased your salvation, who come to understand that God was going to bring trial in his life to produce something in his life and stayed there and took it and took it long enough to start to behave differently, to be transformed, not to perform, not to experiment, to be transformed. And they had a new character and it was proven I've never met a person who took that journey up that mountain and got all the way to the top of Mount Transformation and said, man, is that all there is? The Bible says that hope doesn't disappoint. You stay in this. You let Jesus transform you. Proven character, it will make a hope, and that hope will never disappoint. The coke, the drugs, the car, the gun, it will always disappoint. Being transformed by Jesus never will disappoint your life because hope doesn't disappoint. So don't split from your problems. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today for your goodness. So thankful, Lord. Father, sometimes I wonder if being a president, it makes me laugh and it makes me cry at the same time, God, like that animal. I know college and leadership and all of this process, we're laughing one second, crying the next. The same thing seems to be producing in us two different emotions. But Father God, I just pray today for there to be a deepening because of God's word. Thank you, Jesus, that we have this introduction by faith. That we stand in this place of peace because of Christ and Christ alone. No other way. And Lord, I'm thankful today that you've given me the game plan, the simple dashboard that I am to exalt appreciate, embrace, pressure, daily care, because I know where it's headed. It's producing in me, Lord, endurance, perseverance, character, proven character over time, and hope, and that hope will never disappoint. So, Lord, now that I understand the process, I pray, God, that you would keep me from running and hiding from my problems in this life. Lord, bless our school. Keep us, Lord Jesus, what you're doing is so powerful. If you've been battling, running from problems, we're going to dismiss chapel now. We know we got to get to class and different ones, but if you can hang and worship, the team's going to keep worshiping and to stay steady. Let's put another thousand days that feel and look the same together in a row. Your future is bright. Keep God's word in your heart big time. God bless you guys. These altars are open.